It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball, as uh, we are back on your podcasting airwaves. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill, three different locales this week as uh, Sam has taken up. Show. Were you in uh, Arizona last week? Am I, am I <laughs> yes, late on record? Yes, oh, okay. I, I was also Never in mind. Arizona. I remain in Arizona. Nothing about this is exciting. Never mind. You've already heard this type of podcast that technology brings to you. Um, well, we're going to talk some AFL. We're going to talk uh, some of the offseason happenings around minor league baseball as well as the major league postseason as that continues. And we're going to talk here in a little bit uh, with the Fresno Grizzlies, a couple of members of the Fresno Grizzlies front office uh, that we were able to discuss taco truck throwdown 10 with a little while ago. And uh, Ben, that is one of the things on the minor league landscape that I most want to hit. Uh, And you've gotten a chance to do a a few trips to Fresno, correct? This is a a franchise that just like as an outpost there in the central Valley in California, they've got such a good operation. Um, And this was a fun one today to talk to them. Yeah. The Fresno Grizzlies, you know, uh, have always been an interesting team to cover a triple a team for the entirety of their existence up through this season when they, as part of, you know, many changes in minor league baseball, they ended up in the low a West. So kind of a dramatic shift for them to go from triple uh, a to low a. We also actually had a uh, Grizzlies president, uh, Derek Franks on the podcast several months ago, talking about that shift and, and many other things. If you want even more Fresno content, uh, we can of course provide it here on the show before the show podcast, but there are a team that through different um, you know, ownership, through different uh, permutations of the front office, uh, basically for my whole career covering, you know, minor league promotions, um, you know, well over a decade now have always done creative things, um, attention getting promotions, you know, whether it's, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle jerseys or coming to America uh, theme night or um, man, it's all blurring together. Or I don't know, getting their mascot Parker ordained by the Universal Life Church and conducting like legit weddings on the concourse. Um, you know, they've done a lot of creative stuff through the years. And uh, for a long time, one of their biggest uh, parts of their identity has been tacos. Uh, and that all started really with them putting together this event, the Taco Truck Throwdown, um, you know, over a decade ago, which you know, we'll get into it uh, shortly with uh, two members of the front office, uh, Ray Ortiz and Johnny Bravo. And um, the Taco Truck Throwdown has just been such a signature event for them. So I visited Fresno twice, and both times I got to go on, you know, taco tours with the help of the front office. And I need to look at my notes. I should have done it before doing this segment and mentioning some of the places we went to. The first time I went to Fresno, I want to say it was 2013. Uh, we kind of hit up some trucks during the day and it really just gave me a sense of Fresno as a city too, because once you get out of the downtown, you don't have to go very far to get into 
you know, comparatively rural areas because this, the Central Valley is, so much of it is agriculture. So even when you're in downtown Fresno, you don't have to drive too far to get to areas that are, you know, much more farmland, um, do not feel urban at all. And uh, a lot of the workers there are Mexican and Hispanic, and there's taco trucks all over, not just Fresno proper, but, you know, over the, uh, the region that, you know, cater to a lot of people working in the agricultural industry, and there's a whole history there. And, you know, I grew up in the east, on the East Coast. I live in New York City now. I've always liked tacos, but uh, going to Fresno, I was like, wow, this is a whole nother thing. I mean, the, the varieties of it, I found on the whole that, and, and you can't just pigeonhole a Fresno taco and I'm no expert, but they were often fairly simple, smaller tortillas and a real attention to the meat in terms of slow cooked and spiced and flavorful. And then often, you know, not much more than, you know, some cilantro or lime or kind of a, you know, do it yourself mix of salsa or whatnot. Everyone has their own techniques, but they are so simple, but so well-crafted, so fresh, so many varieties. And the second time I went to Fresno, just uh, in 2019, wow, it was just two years ago, um, went on a nighttime taco tour after a game. And we got into that a little bit, not so much the specifics of my tour, but uh, how many of the uh, Fresno trucks in and around the city are nocturnal as well. So uh, Fresno tacos are amazing. Um, like so many things with my job, I don't think I ever would have associated Fresno and tacos unless I'd covered minor league baseball, learned about it through a minor league team. Uh, but you learn how deep and rich it is. There's nothing contrived about the Fresno Grizzlies and the way they celebrate tacos and, of course, uh, develop their own uh, alternate tacos identity and the taco truck throwdown being a signature event. So there's a lot to get into with Fresno and tacos. Yeah. And, and Ben, before we pivot to the interview real quick, um, because you just mentioned the alternate identity, the Fresno tacos. Uh, so much of minor league baseball that we've talked about on this podcast has been kind of this pivot to locally based food identities and, and teams doing one-offs and stuff like that. But would you consider the Fresno tacos the gold standard of that essentially in, in the business today? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, Fresno has had a, I think it's simmering, simmered down lately, but uh, they have a longstanding rivalry with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, kind of about, you know, who was the first team to have a food-themed identity. Um, basically, it worked out like this. Lehigh Valley was the first team to have food-based uniforms. If you remember, they had their alternate uh, uniforms that were bacon-based and the bacon strip hats, and they formed uh, a new identity around bacon, but they didn't change their name to the bacon. They didn't have a, a, a whole new alternate identity. It was just kind of logo or uniforms that incorporated bacon elements. So then the next year, Fresno Tacos said, okay, I see what you're doing, Lehigh Valley. We're not just uh, going to put like a little taco patch on our uniforms. We're going to play as the tacos. And that was literally the first time that a team rebranded, had an alternate identity based around regional food. And uh, as any listener to this podcast knows, in the last uh, five plus years, that has gone from something essentially started by Fresno Grizzlies becoming the tacos to something that is nationwide all over the country. And we've talked about a lot of those identities, everything from the Omaha Runzas to the Mahoning Valley peppers and oil. I don't know why that random one came to my mind. Um, and on and on and on the uh, Inland Empire uh, burritos identity, kind of similar in terms of being California. Uh, we could go on and on. You guys can mention some of your favorites if you like, but it all goes back. 
to Fresno and the tacos. That's the main point uh, that you're hitting that, Sam. Fresno tacos slash grizzly slash low riders slash uh, it's a, an inventive front office in Fresno. We got a chance to catch up with yes. I know what you are uh, wondering. His actual name, Johnny Bravo and Ray Ortiz. Those two join the show coming up next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This coming Saturday, October 23rd, is the Fresno Grizzlies' 10th taco truck throwdown, a um, traditional event that they've obviously um, been staging now for a decade, a little over a decade, celebrating Fresno taco trucks and taco culture. Uh, You may know when you think of the Fresno Grizzlies that they have played as the tacos for a lot of years, and um, they were the first team to have a standalone uh, food identity but the taco truck throwdown was came before that, and I'm sure in a way even inspired becoming the tacos on-field identity. But the taco truck throwdown came about because Fresno tacos are huge, um, uh, deep-rooted taco history in Fresno, California. So to talk about all of this, we got two guests from the Grizzlies today. Marketing manager, Jonathan, you can call me Johnny if you want to, bravo. And entertainment manager Ray Ortiz. Thank you guys for being with us here today. Thanks You're for having welcome. us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. So, when it comes to Fresno and tacos, there is a lot to talk about. I uh, want to get into what you have planned on this Saturday for the Taco Truck Throwdown. But to start, uh, let's get into just Fresno tacos. When I visited the ballpark a few years ago, Ray, you took me to a few uh, local spots. Uh, I know there's a long history of uh, taco trucks in the region, um, just being really important to the people of Fresno and to the workers in the community. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about Fresno tacos, um, why they are so important and um, you know what the history is there and you know some of your favorite spots maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Uh, so, you know, again, when you when you came out here, we went to a couple of taco trucks, uh, little spots and some of our favorites and quite essential essentials uh, spots that you have to come if you visit the Central Valley. And the Central Valley being, you know, the ag capital of the world, um, there is a lot of agriculture here from companies from irrigation to you know straight up farming to now technology. Um, and the the we rooted the history when we started Taco Truck Throwdown back in 2007 um, that um that that the the central valley was quite possibly the the birthplace of the taco truck um and it wasn't the taco truck that you come to see like on my hat and what kind of what they look like and what people know them to be now um but just the families uh taking care of other families um and feeding them during the lunch hour um breakfast uh coffee and for those uh, field workers and people that are working in the in the ag business um and it was quite important because, um, you know, without those people um, working the fields, you know, we couldn't necessarily feed, you know, 40% of the nation, you know, with all the agricultural stuff that's come here. So um, as things progressed and, and as things, you know, um, went on, um, a lot of those families ended up having restaurants here in the Central Valley, whether they were on a, on a what they called roach coach back then or, you know, a taco truck or, you know, a food truck. 
um, having restaurants. And and the, the 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 amazing part of it is that all these different families were from you know a, a different state or a different region of Mexico um, or even Southern America, you know uh, South America, uh, or you know and 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 all come here because of the ag industry. So a few years ago, the Fresno Grizzlies, we went as bold as saying that Fresno was the taco capital of the world. And we got a lot of, you know, pushback on it. So like, really, the world, Ray, like, you know, hello, Mexico is right there. And, and but explaining what I just said is that, you know, all these states and all these people from all the different states of, of Mexico come here because of the ag business. And so if you want a, a seafood style taco, um, you're going to go to the seafood style restaurant that's here from Mexico. If you want Mexico City tacos and they're known for their um, al pastor or their adobada, you're going to go to that family. And everybody has their own secret recipes. Everybody has their own, you know, ideas. And we really took the ideas as the Grizzlies because the love of our tacos. My partner Mike Asagueda, Sam Hansen, who's our marketing director for the Grizzlies. Uh, they were the two guys that came up with the idea of the taco truck throwdown. I came in and I brought the, uh, you know, the, the cultural part of it um, as Mike and Sam not being Mexican like I am, um, came in and really, you know, flipped the script on it and, you know, made the event, you know, to do it to what it is today. So um, it's super important to us that we honor that culture, that we respect that culture, um, and that we have the trust of the local, you know, families that, um, put on and, you know, and provide the Central Valley with some amazing tacos. Um, we have people, one of our news reporters yesterday, you know, gal from Oklahoma, I think she is, Johnny, or somewhere. Um, she's like, you know, I didn't believe that Central Valley or Fresno had the best tacos until I got here and literally had them. And oh, my God, um, Ben, you you know, you've been around the, you know, around the world. And, and you know, you, you I think you you should guys should have seen Ben's face. It was red when he was eating this, the salsa. And like, I don't know how many tacos you ended up eating that day, but um, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. So we, we, we do pride ourselves in the fact that we do have some really great food here. Um, and it, it was about the third or fourth year of the initial taco truck throwdown where Sam and, and, and Mike were like, you know what, more people came for the tacos than they did for the baseball game. Maybe we should be, you know, maybe, maybe we should change our name to the Fresno tacos. And that's how, that's how the Fresno tacos brand and, uh, uh, an idea was born um, from a cool idea, if you would. Um, but we took it, we ran with it, we submitted the stuff to the league, um, and voila, you know, Fresno Tacos was born. Um, and we've had a really, really good, successful run um, with the brand, um, you know, up until today. And now celebrating Taco Truck Throwdown number 10, guys, like 10. You know, if, if we get to number 10, we're doing something right. Um, so that, in a nutshell, kind of is, is the, the, the foundation, the history of, of where we are today. Um, and, and how we got here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, maybe a bit later in the interview, we can get into some of the specific places, some of the names I'm drawing a blank, but uh, the tacos in Fresno are incredible and uh, yeah, so much variety and yeah, you can go to restaurants and uh, I went after a game, um, you know, we, uh, we went out uh, for a late night uh, taco truck run. And so the amount of kind of choose your own adventure, uh, you know, taco uh, journeys you can have in Fresno is incredible and uh, definitely a reason to visit Fresno. So the taco truck throwdown is a celebration of that. Uh, Ray, as you mentioned, it's we're heading in the number 10. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about the beginnings of the throwdown, uh, how it came together and, um, you know, what the overall premise is and, and what you're trying to accomplish with it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're all about, you know, promoting small businesses here and where a lot of people, um, you know, I don't say failed to realize, but maybe didn't understand quite, you know, uh, uh, completely was that, you know, the taco trucks are, you know, family owned and operated businesses. Um, and, you know, for being a, a smaller community, a smaller market here in the Central Valley, 
uh, to highlight any kind of, you know, of our partners or, you know, business partners or, you know, with, with the, with the um, foundation of baseball, you know, minor league baseball is important to us. It's important to the Grizzlies. Um, and uh, so highlighting them uh, as Ben, as you saw, Ben, the, the majority of the taco trucks here in the Central Valley are definitely a nocturnal business. Um, so they, they, you know, they operate from 5 p.m. to 2 in the morning because, uh, you know, people are out having a good time, you know, going to the, you know, the bar doing whatever. Like, of course, a taco is going to, you know, hit at 2 in the morning or 1 o'clock, you know, whatever. I think that's how Taco Bell builds its success. But um, uh, so, you know, like doing that um, is there. So highlighting the tacos and bringing them all to one central location to where people be like, oh my God, this is the best taco I've ever had in my life. Where do I find it? Well, here is where you find it. They're on the corner of Highway 43 and, you know, whatever. Um, and so, and they're there every night of the, of the week. So if you really want them, you want to go, you know, you know, head over there. Um, and the the idea was, was just really, really simple. Mike, again, Mike and, and Sam, um, you know, took the idea and they're like, you know, what if we did this? What if we brought all these taco trucks here? And we started with seven trucks. We hit our, our, our very our, our high at 33 a couple of years ago. Um, and what's really unique about this year in itself, obviously a post-COVID, living in a post-COVID world, um, you know, we were, we were very, you know, uh, aware of what we need to do and how we, mean, you know, try to make people comfortable. Um, but the trucks that are operating or that are, are participating this year are a good amount of brand new trucks that have either been um, uh, uh, just started in the in the last couple of years. To uh, we had a couple of trucks that started at the end of 2019. Uh, some trucks didn't make it; they didn't survive COVID um, and you know the operation that they were doing there. But a very big amount of trucks that we're doing this year are brand new trucks, and some have told us that they've been inspired because of the 10 years of the success of Taco Truck Doe Down to start a taco truck and to eventually get to, you know, the level where, where they are now. Um, so they're very excited about it. Um, a lot of our, a lot of our longstanding um, uh, trucks that have, you know, participated from day one, uh, some of them unfortunately couldn't make it this year. Um, there's a lot of staffing issues, like the world is, you know, I think short staffed and that's trickled all the way down to the taco truck. So uh, it's unfortunate that some of them can't join us, but, you know, hopefully we, we could, you know, turn around and, and make that, you know, a little bit better for them in the years to come. So, um, but yeah, the idea started real easy, Ben. Um, it, it was just like, hey, like, let's just get these taco trucks together and let's see who has, you know, in the, in the, in the spirit of, of competition, which is our, our, our main business in minor league baseball, um, you know, let's see who has the best taco in, in Fresno. When you go to your city um, and, you know, you go to, you know, you go, is it pizza? Is it, is it New York or is it, you know, Chicago? Like, you know, what, what, where is it? Where is the best pizza? Same thing for the Central Valley, because there's so many taco trucks here. Who has the best one? If you ask me, I get very specific because I'm like, why? Well, it depends on what I'm in the mood for. If I want carne asada, I'm going to go here. If I want this, I'm going to go here. Uh, but as a general taco, like, I, I mean, I'm never going to turn down a taco, um, you know, regardless of where it comes from. Um, but that's how in the spirit of competition, that's how it began. The idea was super simple. Let's see who has the best taco and let's give them bragging rights for a year if this event takes off. And sure enough, by year I think uh, it was year seven. We have this huge, I wish I had one here, but the trophies are like, you know, they're the size of, you know, they're, they're big. They're, they're probably like six or seven feet tall. And, and we had restaurants and trucks that would literally have them on their truck in their restaurant. Um, and you get bragging rights for a year. And in the, in the, in the, in the, in the spirit of competition, like, that's a big deal in Fresno, you know, the Hispanic and Mexican culture, we're very prideful. Uh, <laughs> and to brag that the fact that you won Taco Truck Doe Down, uh, the defending champion, um, unfortunately, is not coming back. But uh, year uh, 2019, the Taco Truck that won was called is called Tacos Pinto. They make an amazing shrimp 
uh, fried shrimp taco. Um, you eat two of these things and you're not eating for the rest of the day. They were three months in existence, three months into existence. And they want taco check no down, hands down. Judge's choice, people's choice. It was phenomenal. So uh, much success to them. And again, a, 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 a husband and wife duo, family owned business. And they were related. They're the ones that had the, the trophy on their on their trailer uh, for like a whole year. Uh, they, they, they were trying to expand. They started to expand and so they had to move it. And, you know, it's not on their trailer anymore, but they're still, you know, one of the defending champions. So it started real easy and it's grown into something that's uh, quite phenomenal now. Yeah. And, and Jonathan, you were talking a little bit off mic before we started about how you've experienced this as a fan before. Now you are a member of the front office. First, kind of talk about that, what it's like to transition to seeing it as everybody else sees it and now seeing it behind the scenes. And also, how are you guys kind of blowing this out? Because it is the 10th version of this. This is a big milestone for you guys. I know there's a Michelada uh, showdown this year, which is kind of cool. But what else are you guys doing to really blow it out for, for number 10? Yeah, absolutely, Sam. So first off, it is really a unique experience to get to have attended multiple years as a fan before getting to see the behind the scenes experience, you know, and and on a fan perspective, it's really cool. You know, all of the points that Ray brought up, the fact that all of the best taco trucks in Fresno come to, or in the central Valley, excuse me, come to one location to duel it out. I mean, again, I'm not from Fresno. I'm from the Bay area. I came here to attend Fresno state. So I I don't know. I didn't know anything about any of the local taco trucks coming into the central Valley and taco truck throwdown educated me. Taco Truck Throwdown really opened my eyes to this phenomenal world, not only of, you know, taco trucks, but really food trucks in general. Um, And now being on the inside piece, of course, I get to see everything that goes into putting on the event. But I also get to learn more about the people behind the trucks. And that has been one of the most amazing pieces to me. You know, they're they're so genuine, friendly, down-to-earth individuals, every single one of them. We had a great truck out here yesterday morning doing some media hits with us and just getting to talk with them and see the passion they have behind their craft and hearing them talk about you know, the one in specific had just started their truck at the end of 2020 and get to hear about the struggles and learning how to um, survive in the industry was super interesting. So it's really been rewarding to see the other side of everything and to get to know the individuals a little bit more, get to know the story a little bit more. Um, The second piece, you know, like you said, this is the 10th year, which is absolutely phenomenal. Like Ray said, if you reach 10 in anything, it, it really means that you've got something going for you, right? So you're right. We have the Michelada Throwdown, which is the first time ever we're doing that with Taco Truck Throwdown. And that all features local vendors as well. Um, We have close to a dozen local Michelada vendors joining us. And it gives our fans just a new twist to the throwdown, right? And another thing for people to compete for and our fans to vote for, which is really exciting. You know, it's all these local vendors vying for the inaugural title of Michelada Throwdown Champion. And we're going to feature the champion and in our ballpark in the 2022 season, which is just another piece for them to get to fight for and more bragging rights. We have a couple of really cool acts performing. Um, and one of the things that has been added in the more recent years to the throwdown is the addition of live music. And that really has become a cornerstone of the event. We've got Genuine and Mibanda El Mexicano coming, as well as we've got some local acts too. We have a local violinist who is debuting his new album at the Taco Truck Throwdown, which is really cool. So it 
although it's obviously, you know, a nationally renowned, if not world renowned event, we really focus on keeping it focused on our community. And we're really grateful to get to have this Central Valley focused event here at the ballpark. Guys, you are uh, such a cornerstone of the community in Fresno with the things that you do, these events and the Lowriders event and and how you show up for the Central Valley. And in this era uh, that we currently inhabit, um, Ray, you might be, be more uh, positioned to answer this with your background with the team. But I would think especially in terms of the, the taco truck, truck throwdown and now the Michelada throwdown as well, you really get to help local businesses and you get to help local, you know, as, as Johnny said, you got mom and pop, um, you know, taco trucks that are coming in and people who you get to make an impact on, uh, in the world that we live in now through the pandemic and being able to give a lift to some of these people in the community who are entrepreneurs who are trying to start, get something, uh, you know, off the ground, uh, in terms of a business, what does that mean to you guys as an organization from an emotional standpoint that you can have that impact? Oh man, Tyler, you, you, you're tugging on my strings right now because it is super, super important. And I'm an emotional guy. When I, when I really feel passionate about something, you could, you could, you know, you could tell, um, and Johnny be a test of this too. You know, we've had Johnny and I have had moments here that, you know, we probably don't want to share with too many people, but you know, we, we, we've had to hug each other out, you know, a couple of times. Uh, but, um, it, it is super important. And, and, uh, and to answer that question, I want to, I want to explain and kind of share with you a little bit of, of what we did here. So, you know, uh, 2020 in March, you know, was, was for everyone was just a, a, an unbelievable time. Correct. Where I was sitting here in my office, president Derek's right here. We see the NBA shut down. We see, you know, uh, you know, MLB shut down later. We see the world shut down as we knew it, you know, and, and nobody, including all, you know, four of you knew what we were going to do or how it was going to impact us. Right. And so, and then when, when that, you know, I, I associate myself with sports because sports is forever. Correct. Um, and, and that was taken away from us. It was gone. Right. So you could, you can't even imagine, I couldn't even imagine at the time what other businesses, what other people were doing, all that stuff. And then the restaurant industry, I mean, completely shut down. I mean, just completely 100%. Bigger cities, you know, I, I could imagine, like I, I was, I went to my first year of college was SDSU. I probably could have, you know, um, uh, eaten at a, at a new restaurant every day for like five years in San Diego. I'm sure same for New York and LA whatnot. Um, but Central Valley, like if you have a restaurant here in the Central Valley, if you want to start a restaurant anywhere, come to the Central Valley and see if it survives here. Because if it survives here, it'll survive anywhere. Um, and again, the tacos being quintessential about, you know, the Central Valley, like you, if you have a good product in the tacos, it's going to build there. Um, we Taco Truck Throwdown has led to multiple opportunities, not only for myself, my partner, Mike Osagata, which I'm sure you guys know Mike Oz. Um, and um, and, and in, in June of, of 2020, we were doing little pop-ups. We were doing little events here and there at our local breweries or, you know, with places here and there. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple months later, restaurants shut down. And it, we, we had an advantage because our restaurant wasn't a brick and mortar or our opportunity weren't brick. We were, we were mobile. We could move. We strategized. We, pit, we made a pivot and we, we associated ourselves with some community churches, uh, things. And from that idea was born uh, a brand new company that now Mike and I operate called Fresno Street Eats. Um, and it is exactly that Fresno Street Eats. So we bring mobile 
food trucks um, from all kinds of not just taco trucks, but, you know, we have Philly cheesesteak, we have chicken sandwiches, we have um, Italian food, we have, you know, uh, uh, egg rolls, we have, you know, all these different kinds of foods, you know, much like the Denver scene, you know, in Denver, there's a good association of, you know, of taco trucks or food trucks that, you know, yeah. come together once a week or whatever. Um, we literally do that seven days a week. Now we have a roster of about 42 different trucks that we that we operate um a lot of them guys is our taco trucks we have taco trucks at every one of our event uh every day um sometimes two three times events you know two three times a day at you know different events and during the pandemic guys not only did the taco truck business you know survive but other food truck businesses survive because of what we did there and so that was super important for us in the fact that we were providing opportunity for these trucks to go around still feed the community, still be part of it, and also supporting the local small businesses um, that they are and that they were. And as as God is my witness, there there's people that are saying that we wouldn't have survived the pandemic if it wasn't for the idea that Fresno Street eats, the idea that Taco Truck throw down, the idea that the Grizzlies, it, it all just went like this. And it's become this energy where it's just like, I mean, Johnny goes to our events, you know, Street Eats, and I, we have seen him out, a lot of us do. Um, but it's really unique, you know, for me because you know, I, I was part of the root that was part of the ground and, and, and developed here in the Grizzlies. And now it, you know, builds up. So Derek, he walks to my office there and he's like, he'll say Fresno Street Eats. And I'll literally do this. I'll literally flip my hat around and I'll be like, all right, what do you need from Fresno Street Eats? And then he'll tell me and then I'm like, okay, now I'm back on the Grizzly side, you know? So like, it, it's, it's really unique and it's, it's great for us, um, you know, business-wise, but synergy, but most importantly, it's great for the local independent businesses, which are the food trucks on there. So it's been a very unique, unique uh, couple years, um, but it's very positive one for a lot of our food trucks, a lot of our taco trucks, because they were able to survive. And that's super important to us. On a inevitably, I think, lighter note, um, yeah. after uh, Ray uh, talking so heartfelt about, um, you know, how important this has all been, um, the taco truck throwdown has evolved through the years, you know, um, starting off inside the ballpark, then to outside the ballpark, because there's so many people. Now it's a standalone off-season event. This year has a new wrinkle, um, not one you necessarily could have planned for, but I mean, this is just a kind of crazy story, a lawn services company. <laughs> and as we all know, lawn services companies are often experts on tacos, uh, put out on their blog, I believe it was lawnstarter.com, um, a list of California city taco rankings. Number one, Santa Barbara, number 52, Fresno. And, uh, I've learned anything about the Grizzlies through the years. You know, you're not ones to back down from a challenge, uh, no matter how obscure or absurd that challenge may be. This ranking uh, deeply upset you in the front office, and uh, you've taken action on it. So could you please explain uh, the current beef, uh, as it were, with uh, Santa Barbara and um, you know, your anger about being ranked number 52 uh, in all of California for tacos by no less an authority than lawnstarter.com. I'm still angry, so I'll let Jonathan answer this question. Yeah, Ben. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? And you can speak to it firsthand that you've had tacos in Fresno. You know we have the best tacos in California, if not the entire country or world. Um, and we were stunned, honestly. You know, it's hilarious. We were all actually in a taco truck throwdown meeting when um, the news came across that we were ranked 53rd. And it will totally just brought the meeting to a screeching halt. 
because we were like, this can't be true. A, that we're 53rd, but that Santa Barbara. Ray just got up and left. Ray is furious. Uh, yeah, he, he, he can't hear it anymore. Um, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, he, he's getting something. Uh, he'll be back in a second. Again, right across the um, hallway. Um, but yeah, it, it's completely bogus. And we knew we had to respond immediately. And Ray has the number 53 jersey, 53 tacos jersey, which we had to pull out of the archives because we knew that that was insane. Um and we responded immediately and we challenged Santa Barbara to send their best taco truck to taco truck throwdown to kind of put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. We told them that we'd pay their admission, we'd pay their travel fees to come up and show why they think they're number one. Um, and yeah, it was just, it blew us away. We knew we had to respond. We held a press conference, um, launched our, you know, VIP sales to, you know, tell our community, hey, you've got to come down. You've got to support the Fresno tacos. Um, and yeah, but it, it blew us away, Ben. All right, guys, we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, I know you guys love all the taco trucks that are coming out equally. They're all great for, for being part of this event and they're all locally sourced and part of the community. That's great. What I want to know is, when the event opens, where are you going first? Like, what's the taco? What's the taco truck you are making a beeline to to make sure you get it before everybody else does? Yeah, for for me, it, uh, it'll be it'll have to be uh, the the truck that's uh, that's participating this year and defending champion Taco Pinto because again, their shrimp taco is is pretty pretty darn amazing, um, and it will definitely sell out. So uh, for me, that's Taco Pinto. Yeah, I'm super excited to try that because I haven't had it yet. Um, so really excited to get to try that one. But the one we had yesterday on the news, and I'm not going to even attempt to uh, pronounce it because I don't want to butcher it, uh, butcher the name. So I'll let Ray. Uh, Sazon la guerra. Sazon la guerra. Anything with the word guerra, which means war or battle. I was going to say, it's yeah. Probably, probably pretty good. Yeah. The and the taco right. we had yesterday, it had asada on it. It had hot links. It had bacon. It had jalapenos. Like, uh, uh, it was freaking phenomenal guys well we could talk tacos all day uh with uh jonathan and ray um there are very few people more qualified to talk talk tacos than uh people in fresno and especially people in the fresno grizzlies front office uh doing the taco truck throwdown for this many years once again taco truck throwdown number 10 this saturday at chuck chancy park and uh, I'm sure, per usual, there'll be thousands of people out and uh, one of the highlights of the Fresno, California cultural calendar. Uh, Ray, Jonathan, thanks so much for t- uh, coming on and uh, talking about tacos. It was great. And I, as much as we've talked, I felt like we only scratched the, the taco surface. Yeah, Ben, thank thanks, you guys. for your time, man. Tyler, Sam, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Well, huge thanks to the Fresno Grizzlies and to Jonathan Bravo and Ray Ortiz, uh, who we did make sure to clear before the interview. Do you, do you really go by Johnny? Do you go by Johnny Bravo? And he said that he was named six months before the show started. And he said, uh, much to my parents' shock when that cartoon came out. Uh, but a big thanks to those guys for joining us. And if you are anywhere near Fresno or the Central Valley, uh, get out there on Saturday. Taco Truck Throwdown 10 is coming at you from Chuck Chansey Park. So that'll segue us into three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show with uh, some big news from Major League Baseball earlier this week from our good friend Mark Feinstein at MLB.com. I will read this quote. 
As Major League Baseball continues its commitment to a first-class development system, the league's 30 owners are closing in on an announcement for a new housing policy at all levels of the minor leagues. This is a quote from MLB's statement. Major League Baseball is engaged in a multi-year effort to modernize the minor league system and better assist players as they pursue their dreams of playing in the major leagues. In 2021, we increased the salaries for minor league players by 38 to 72%, depending on the level, and significantly reduced travel requirements during the season. In addition, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of improvements to minor league ballparks around the country are already underway, including substantial renovations to player-facing facilities like locker rooms and training rooms. In mid-September, the owners discussed the issue of player housing and unanimously agreed to begin providing housing to certain minor league players. We are in the process of finalizing the details of that policy and expect it to be announced and in place for the 2022 season. We're still somewhat light on details with this. Um, there's been discussion, well, is this going to be a, a stipend for players to find their own housing? Is this going to be team-provided housing, which I know I think most players would probably go for. Um, but Sam, your reaction to this news that came out this week from MLB? Yeah, so I mean, this is this is big news. That's that's the first thing is that I know a lot of people have been working very hard, uh, both publicly and behind the scenes, to make this happen. Um, minor league housing is a big deal uh, because of just how crazy it is. I mean, imagine any of us working in a job in which you are told to go to a certain place, and that's where you're going to start the year. You have to find housing for yourself. Uh, and oh, by the way, you might be moving halfway through the year and it could happen at any time and, and you don't know when that'll be, but your name is on the lease. Uh, you're under a lease with several other people. You might have to find somebody who can sublet that for you. Uh, if they do, your name is still on there and you are responsible for whatever happens to them. Uh, if, if they book it, you are on the hook for the money. Like housing is a major problem in this country in general, uh, but especially for minor leaguers when you know the, there's just so much up in the air about where they will be and what they're, they'll be doing and how long they're going to be there and all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, because of, of the situation, we've heard tons of stories of minor leaguers staying four five, six plus to a house uh, just because a, they need to do that to afford housing. Um, but B just because of that situation where you don't know where you're going to be. And it's tough to take up a place by yourself, um, especially given the pay that minor leaguers have to deal with. So this is one less thing off that look. It is, Again, as you said, Tyler, and I can't stress this enough, we are light on details right now. We don't know if this means dorm style housing uh, for minor leaguers. So if you do get moved up, somebody just takes your room uh, or if it's like, hey, we're going to give you a little bit extra money each month to pay for your housing and, and take care of that, which is also great. That that works out. All right. Um, it, you know, obviously different markets are going to affect things as well. Uh, if you are playing in a place like Brooklyn. Uh, with the cyclones, that's going to cost a lot more money than it's going to in some other parts of the countries that have minor league baseball. Um, each organization is going to have to figure that out on their own. But this is a big step. It is it is great to hear that it has gotten to the point where major league teams have acknowledged, hey, we're trying to develop these guys. These guys are a part of our system. They are part of our organization. We are trying to make them into major leaguers. If we want that to happen, we need to give them you know, the best opportunities at every level. So if we can take care of their housing, take away one thing that they have to worry about, but also give them good housing and not having to sleep on cots or blown up air mattresses or whatever. Um, that's only going to be good for their development. And you're going to get better manager leaders because of that. That's a huge deal. We've talked about that in the past with nutrition and the way things have kind of grown on that side in terms of it used to be, here's peanut butter jelly for the, the spread today. Uh, go, go out there and shove for nine innings, please. Uh, that's not easy to do. If you can take care of nutrition 
and make sure your guys are eating smartly and well, they're going to be better baseball players. Accommodation is that next step. Um, pay is, an, is another step on top of that. And, you know, Major League Baseball did increase pay for minor leaguers so far. I think there's still some room to grow there and hopefully we'll get there in time. But uh, this was huge news coming out this week and hopefully we can get more details soon, but certainly before the 2022 season. Which brings us to strike two on this week's episode of the show before the show. Sam's in Arizona, the Arizona Fall League, which continues a couple of weeks in now to play in the offseason showcase circuit in the AFL. Uh, give us an update. You've been able to, to be at ballparks pretty much every day, um, checking out some of the top talent in baseball. You saw the Grand Canyon, which is not just a hole <laughs> in Arizona. Um, and uh, it's been a, a fun first couple of weeks for the AFL. Tell us about uh, some of the updates. Yeah, so a couple updates that I've seen so far. I actually, I got lucky my first day here. Um, I got to see Mackenzie Gore start. I think I may have talked about that a little bit last week. He looked good in his first start. I also caught him last night. If you follow me on Twitter, you will know he did not look very good last night, which is kind of in line with what we've heard about him the last two years, is that a big problem with him has been refining the command, finding the zone with regularity, um, you know, working on the control, what when I talked to him after his first start, he said, listen, it's not my leg kick, which has been pretty pronounced ever since the, the Padres took him in the first round. Uh, it's been my hands. It's been making sure those are in a consistent place to fire uh, and making sure I'm not trying to move too much and put too much movement into my delivery. So they worked on that this year at the Arizona complex. He's been around Peoria this summer, and then he was going to start climbing up. He's made a couple, I, I won't call them rehab starts, but starts at various levels to work up to the Arizona fall league. And the fact that he looked good in his first start, but didn't in his second, he walked five of the 11 batters he faced, didn't strike out anybody. Uh, his strike rate was about 50%, uh, but he only pitched an inning in a third and was pulled after not only walking the bases loaded, but walking in a run with the bases loaded. So it's still very much a work in progress for Mackenzie Gore. Um, I didn't, think you know he was fixed after that first start he certainly looked good he was hitting 98 miles an hour on the gun he was topping out at 98 I should say uh, his secondaries looked good I think yesterday just really underlined what he needs to do to be that that good starters the secondaries can be good but if the fastball is not there nothing is there because guys were were sitting off speed on him it seems like as the game went on um, and if he wasn't finding the strike zone with his fastball then he didn't have it uh, so I talked to Logan Ohoppy Phillies catcher who caught him he thought he looked okay. Uh, he thought he was making adjustments as the game went on. He's going to have to make a big adjustment going into his third AFL start. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that. Um, but on the hitter side, I just want to mention real quick, Jeter Downs uh, of the Boston Red Sox. He was somebody we kind of had circled as not needing a big Arizona fall league necessarily, but he was a top 100 prospect to begin the year. And he's fallen down significantly uh, because he just didn't put it together in the Red Sox system, really his first full season in the Red Sox system. I know he came over in the Mookie Betts trade, but obviously didn't play in 2020. Spent this year at AAA Worcester, didn't put up very good numbers, uh, wasn't showing the, the slugging power that we thought he maybe had. It could have been above average at the least, considering he hit 20-plus homers uh, the year before in the Dodgers system. So didn't really put it together this year at AAA Worcester, was never really a threat to make the major leagues. As we sit here right now, as we're recording on Thursday, he leads the Arizona Fall League in total bases with 14. Uh, he's tied for the Arizona Fall League in homers with three. He's tied with Lars Newtbar, who is actually a full-fledged major leaguer. 
the Cardinals send him here to, to get extra at bats, but it's Downs and Newbar at the top of the home run chart. He has a 1.550 OPS through 20 plate appearances. He's walked six times, only struck out three times. Uh, so he seems to really be putting it together here very early. He's only four games in. Um, he only has five hits, but three of those have gone for home runs. Uh, I think a couple of them have gone the opposite way, which is promising. So, uh, you know, we, we, we talked last week about some of the bigger names here in the AFL with Brett Beatty and Spencer Torkelson and how well they've done early. Uh, and that was pretty much to be expected. But Downs turning it around the way he has has been really promising. And uh, I'm going to be keeping a close eye to see if he can keep that going. I don't think he's going to become a top 100 prospect. Uh, if he has a stellar AFL, I don't think that's going to necessarily push him up more just because we have such a larger sample size of what he looked at AAA, but he can certainly help his stock and showing this level of power uh, against some really elite arms has been special to watch from him. And we'll see if it continues. Strike three this week, uh, an unfortunate reminder that we are still very much in a global pandemic as the Australian Baseball League, uh, one of the off-season circuits that we have seen prospects rely on uh, for the last now decade plus, a league that started in 2010-2011. The ABL has released a statement that it will not be going forward with its 21-22 season uh, due to the ongoing global pandemic. The, uh, the, The league is in a unique space as an off-season league. When you look at the the Dominican Republic or the Mexican Pacific Winter League or Winter Ball in Puerto Rico or Venezuela or wherever, uh, it's a much different model for those leagues, which are playing in, obviously, baseball, crazy countries where they've got TV money and they've got a, a ton of fans coming into the ballpark gates every day. And you also have players who, in large part, are plying their trade in North America uh, during our traditional baseball schedule from, from February and March through September, October. The Australian Baseball League is not that way. Um, there are prospects who go over from here for continued development uh, during the ABL season over the North American winter, but in large part, Locally based players in the ABL are guys living in Australia who for the other eight, nine months of the year have regular jobs and they have regular jobs during the ABL season as well. Uh, The ABL announcing its decision this week and then following that with a statement from Baseball Australia President David Hines, uh, and he pointed it out this way. He said, Specifically, these are a couple of the circumstances that the league finds itself in. One, the ABL and team business model is heavily reliant on teams playing a home and away schedule. This model sees owners invest heavily into their team and the business around the team, and there is a reliance on the delivery of home games to be viable. The lengthy lockdown of major ABL markets and the continued uncertainty of domestic border status across Australia, which creates a significant amount of risk that home teams can, that home teams home games teams demand cannot be guaranteed where alternatives would have impacted on different teams in different ways and in a material uh, materially unequal manner. Uh, he followed that by saying, unlike some other professional sporting codes, many of our players, coaches, and support staff have jobs outside of baseball, which means the option of teams spending time on the road in hubs or relocating to different locations for the summer simply does not exist. This is uh, obviously a huge bummer. I mean, as Sam can see, a whole column of my hat wall is dedicated uh, to the Australian Baseball League. I helped launch that league back in 2010, 2011. Uh, But ultimately, this decision, the hope is, clears the runway for 2022-23 and that the ABL can take off uh, with its its best season yet, uh, but still a bummer for offseason baseball. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's unfortunate um, just for the people down there yeah. and not being able to see baseball. I mean, that's, that's their best opportunity to do that. And uh, I think that gets 
us kind of turned around here in the Northern hemisphere, but that is their summer. Like a, baseball is a summer sport down there, even though we consider winter ball up here. Uh, I, my mind immediately goes to Curtis Mead of the Tampa Bay Rays system, yeah. an Australian native uh, who's been a breakout prospect in 2021. But part of that breakout started at last year's ABL. Yep. Um, I, you know, the Rays were really happy to see him take off the way he did that way. Um, they were still getting to learn the player. They acquired him from the Phillies to see the, him take off last year like that, carry it to low A, carry it to high A, carry it to even triple A this year. And now he's in the Arizona Fall League. It started in the ABL. And the other big name that comes to mind is Ronald Acuna Jr. played right. in the ABL, if you can remember that. He did. That was before we – I think we still called him Ronald Acuna. At the time. Yeah, I think you're right. He wasn't a big enough star to be like, hey, listen, this is my actual name. Um, and that precipitated his breakout season in the minor leagues, which eventually led to him you know, being a superstar on, on the global stage. So – those opportunities are always there in the ABL to lose out on them is, is what I think of second. I think of first everybody down there who's, who's missing out on baseball and getting a chance to really grow the sport. Totally understand the call for all the reasons you listed out there, Tyler. I mean, it's, it's a difficult time for so many. I know Australia has been, you know, has had its, had its own way of going about the pandemic. Um, and if you look at the numbers down there, I don't think any of us can argue with how they've handled things really, especially us here in the United States. But, um, you know, hopefully it re returns full strength, ready to go, as exciting as ever in 2022, 2023. Uh, and I can't wait for that opportunity and, and see which minor leaguers and prospects get to head down there and, and start their own breakouts. That'll do it for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. And we'll be back to wrap things up. Coming up next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson lately i've been off my nuts Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a fact of life, the others are fictions. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Bellingham Box Builders. B. The Lafayette Shrimp Freezers. C, the Hutchinson Salt Packers. Don't get salty if you guessed A or B. <laughs> but the correct answer is C. The Hutchinson Salt Packers played seven seasons across three leagues between 1906 and 1918. The Salt Packers' central Kansas town sat atop one of the largest rock salt deposits in the world. And while you may not find signs of the old ball club, you can still to this day visit an underground salt museum in Hutchinson. But the team was an attraction in its own right. In 07, the Salt Packers had 17-year-old rookie Smokey Joe Wood, a team-player combination that must have smelled like the best barbecue in the Western Association. <laughs> in 1910, 
Hutchinson packed up the pennant in the Kansas State League, getting flavorful performances out of E.J. Farmer-Smith and Red Donovan. They should have given a medal to manager second baseman Bill Zink. Zink spearheaded the team the next year, too, but the Kansas State League went kaput in the middle of the summer. On Christmas Day 1911, with rumors about the future of baseball in Kansas tornadoing all about, the Hutchinson News asked, Will old Santa Claus bring Hutchinson a Western League baseball team? Sometimes St. Nick takes a little while. And when the Salt Packers returned to Hutchinson as members of the Western League in June 1918, it was mere weeks before that circuit collapsed, too. And that was the end of the preservation of the Salt Packers. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these Bambino-ish ball clubs really played in the minor leagues of yore? A. The Bluffton Babes. B. The Levittown Neonates. C. The Ukiah Infants. Want to know the answer? Suck on a pacifier. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is taking a walk in the woods with his optometrist, and he cannot see the forest for the trees. Take it away! We're recording this on uh, Thursday the 21st. By the time you hear it, we could already have one uh, World Series participant determined, and uh, maybe both, depending on when you listen. As of right now, it's a 3-1 National League Championship Series lead for Atlanta. And on the other side in the AL, the Houston Astros uh, felt like they were in the hole 17 games to one. Uh, and they all of a sudden have rallied for back-to-back wins. They got a three games to two series lead over the Boston Red Sox. Uh, it's been an entertaining postseason, uh, but this is going to be a, a very interesting final couple of days because it does not feel like the Dodgers are dead, certainly because uh, it never feels like the Dodgers are dead with all the talent on that roster. And the Red Sox, a tall task ahead of them, headed back to Houston, but still an opportunity. It's a, a franchise that we know, well, I don't know, people don't talk about this very much, but they've come back in some big playoffs. <laughs> they have, and it- <laughs> I, I want to take like all of baseball Twitter and like all of baseball media and just grab them and hold them and say, have we learned nothing? Like it, I understand narratives are a big part of this business and yep. it's great. And I'm saying this from thousands of miles away here in Arizona, where I'm focused on the Arizona fall league and, and other things, but like it, now it feels inevitable that the Astros are going to win the series when two days ago, it felt like the Red Sox. Right. Were inevitable it felt like the series. Red Sox were on the verge of a sweep. And they were only up two games to one. And the Red Sox were at home. And like, it's, and now everybody's like, well, Ash, the game's going back to Houston. So obviously Houston's going to win. It's like, did we not just learn what happened? Like what? Anything can happen. And the Astros dropped a game in Houston last week. Right. Yeah. And if it's a 3-1 lead in the other series right now, I I still don't think the Braves are the best team in that, in that series. Yeah. Like the, the Dodgers could threaten to win. Not only three games in a row, they could sweep the next round. They could win seven in a row and repeat as World Series champs. And we wouldn't really blink an eye because that is a – how many wins do they – That's how good that team is. 106. Yeah. So uh, I might be ending up with egg on my face and we're going to have a Braves-Astros World Series because both of those teams win their next games and and it is what it is. But, like, just look at this postseason on the whole and realize – 
nobody could predict the next game. Let's just sit back and enjoy it and, and enjoy Tyler. You had a tweet about this, about like after the 2020 postseason, Yeah. That were played in, in hubs and behind closed doors. And yep. we finally got a small taste of it in the world series, but that was at an alternate at a site neutral well. site. Yeah. yeah. It's this is, uh, nothing makes me feel physically as uncomfortable as seeing those MLB TV flashbacks to like a, a Yankees Rays game at Petco Park in front of cardboard cutouts, like the most dystopian thing. Like I never, ever want to think of the 2020 postseason again. And that's not because it wasn't a very entertaining postseason because it was. I just don't want to think about the world from 2020. <laughs> ever. Right. I never want to see a cardboard cutout ever again sitting in a seat at a stadium. And even then, we were glad to have it. Yeah, it was great. In the, the moment, time. we were glad to have it. This I hope I never see it again. Yeah. It's like I remember you and I had a conversation one time, like fairly early on uh, in the pandemic, when when people were, you know, the creativity of how do we adapt to this this life was was coming out. And I remember NBC Sports Network did a whole week of old SNL episodes that were hosted by athletes, and I thought, like, what a fun creative idea. I hope I never see it again. You know, like that was the world of 2020. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a very nice change. It has been amazing seeing fans in the ballpark for, uh, for all of these games and all these series so far. And, um, you know, it's surprising that the two of us can talk about it because you're at the AFL. And as you deemed me yesterday, I am now a soccer lad. I know. I was really worried that you're going to start talking <laughs> about left backs instead of left fielders. And not that I would complain, like if we want to turn this into, a, you know, you Tyler would be good at soccer it. corner. I would not. The corner uh, kick. That's what we- ah, look at you. I like it. That was what the Colorado Rapids scored their lone goal off of last night. If anybody, there are people who were like, what on earth are you talking about? I got a chance to broadcast a couple of MLS matches uh, this week. And Sam being the actual knowledgeable soccer fan among the two of us, I was just texting him everything that came into my head for the last week of like, well, what about this? Well, what happens here? Well, what do I do in this circumstance? Um, and then I, I was watching the Golazo show uh, Champions League action. And I texted Sam a picture of my TV and said, what is happening to me? Because really, I just wanted to watch broadcasts and get my pacing down for what I was supposed to be doing. And I don't think I screwed it up too badly. But, uh, you know, if you were able to listen to, to any of the U23 Baseball World Cup from uh, late last month slash early this month, uh, when I was on the call for that in Mexico, I'm a little more comfortable on the baseball side. <laughs> I don't know if the wall behind me would dictate that, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say that. It's where all my hats are. On this Sorry, we can uh, we can debate Ajax's Champions League. Totally, totally. Yes, we'll do that in the coming months. I'll give you a, a little while we'll to. Uh, Sam owns an Ajax hat. I do own an Ajax hat. I did not bring it with me with, on the trip. I do have my Tottenham Hotspur hat. Ah, okay, okay. But, um, yes, I have an Ajax hat. I have an Ajax scarf, an Ajax jersey. I will be purchasing an Ajax Bob Marley jersey at some point. Ah. This is anyways, uh, we'll, we'll leave that to the corner. Here. <laughs> this is where the off season conversation leads us. Uh, we'll travel safe back uh, to the big city. You're headed home next week and uh, all the best for the final few days in AZ. And uh, of course, follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, M I L B. He's got all the good stuff from the Arizona fall league and uh, follow me. If you want to see complaints about small uniform and logo minutia. Uh, and other things as the AFL and the MLB postseason continue along. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.